That's me again. Dan is uh, up in Sacramento-ish, um, Antica, with uh, Brethren Church up there, ordaining a, um, a pastor up there, and uh, so I have the privilege of bringing the message today. Um, as you know, we're in a, a um, season here of, of, of looking into what it means to be um, in Christ, our identity in Christ, what that means to us. Um, and the, last week we looked at the, that we were the light of the world. Um, and that as the light of the world, we're responsible for shining into the darkness. Um, and uh, bringing light to the places um, that don't have the light. And uh, in this country, that's a lot of places. Um, and so it's really important that we that we bring that light out and um, do so through our life, Christ-like life. Now, um, a lot of the messages for this series came out of the uh, Pauline epistles to the Corinthians. Um, the Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, is just deep in stuff to learn. I mean, it's just so many messages. You could probably fill a year worth of messages just out of Second Corinthians alone if you wanted to. I mean, there's just so much into there. And um, so today we're going to focus again another verse, but this time 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old thing has passed away. Behold, new things have come. So there's really two important ideas that's in this verse. First of all, a Christian's position, right? He is or she is in Christ. Secondly, is a Christian's character. He is or she is a new creation. And so we're going to look at those two points. What does it mean to be in Christ? And what does it mean to be a new creation? All right. So first of all, what does it mean to be in Christ? So the human soul has one of three possible conditions. First of all, they can be without Christ which is where we all started. Second, they can be in Christ, which means in the current state of grace, which is where we are now as believers. Um, and finally, the one we're all looking forward to is with Christ, meaning we're not here, we are there, right? That's the, the, uh, the end goal. Um, and with Christ in a state of glory. Now that's, that's going to be a pretty amazing thing. But in the meantime, we're... As believers, um, we are in Christ in this state of grace living in the world. So we're born into a state of being without Christ. Now, it's important to understand what we mean by in Christ because we hear a lot of people who have an idea of what it means, but we know what it doesn't mean. So first of all, it doesn't matter how many times you've heard the message. That doesn't change anything. It doesn't matter how many times you sit in church. You know, sitting in church hoping to be a Christian is like sitting in a garage hoping to be a car. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done. It's not about good works. It's not what it's about. So if you have not reached out and chosen to trust the work of Christ on the cross, then you are without Christ. As we know 
As believers, that's a terrible position to be in. As believers, though, we know it's a terrible position to be in because now we're believers. When we weren't in that position, we really didn't know how terrible we were in. So it's one thing to be without money. I'm sure many of us have been in a situation where we were still had month left but no money. You know, the without money but still had plenty of months to go. And it's one thing to be miserable about if your health is bad. You know, pain and weakness, infirmary, and that's a bad thing. And it's one thing to be desperate to be it can be desperate to be without friends. Loneliness can make you empty, alone, and unwanted, or at least feel unwanted. And it can be wretched to be without reputation, lacking trust, lacking status in a world. But to be without Christ is the worst condition of all. And yet so many people in this world don't know that's the condition they're in. We read in Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12, Therefore remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at a time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the process, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope. Now, ignorance tends to enjoy its own company, and we've certainly seen a world today that brags about being in a situation without Christ. Um, it's really sad to me where I see the almost fervent anger against the whole idea of living a life in Christ. Um, I remember there was a well-known um, atheist that uttered the famous words, there is no such thing as God and I hate him. <laughs> That's an interesting concept. Uh, so the third state with Christ requires two things. First of all, the second state had to exist. And secondly, your time on earth has ended. You've shed this temporary tent we live in and are now in a heavenly mansion. Uh, you've shed this corrupt flush we live in and have become eternal. And you're now a companion with Christ. You can see the glory, participate in it. It's the epitome of, of bliss. It's the one place we long for yet must wait to see. Uh, as we talked about last week, yeah, it would be a great place to go. Can't wait to get there. Must wait to get there. So that brings us back to the second state in Christ. So first of all, there is no other man that any other person has ever claimed to be in. Now, we can follow certain leaders, religious, political leaders, and those sorts, but we're not said to be in them. And it's not as if we're saying that we should be imitators of Christ, because we should be, but that's not the same as being in Christ. We were, all, we were all of us in the first Adam, and he stood for us. And if he had obeyed God, 
we would all have been blessed. But instead, as we all know, he took the fruit, brought sin into the world, um, and fell. And fell for all of us. Original sin fell on us because of the transgression of the first representative of us. Adam was the first, but for Christians, Jesus is the second Adam. He's our representative before God, the heavenly man, the Lord of heaven. So as Adam fell, so in Christ, all who believe are perfectly restored. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22 says, But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came, by also a man came the resurrection of the dead. For As in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. And we see that example many places in the the Bible. I'm going to highlight a few. In the Old Testament, Noah's Ark was a type of in Christ. What do I mean by that? So we know that the animals were preserved from the flood because they they were in the ark, right? The, um, we know that the, um, God somehow communicated to the right pair of all these animals, and they all showed up, two of every kind, uh, of unclean animals and more of the clean animals anyway. And they all loaded themselves up in the ark, and um, they floated in perfect safety while the rest of the world was purged. Um, it's interesting, there's a... I think it's in Tennessee or Kentucky, somewhere like that. Someone's actually built an ark. And uh, Don and I are like, well, we've got to figure out how to take the grandkids to the ark. I mean, that would be really cool. Um, and the, uh, but that's, I mean, they, they managed to be in the ark and then protected. Um, and then, of course, when the waters receded, they were able to get out. And in the same sense, we are in Christ, right? He is the ark of God provided for us against the day of judgment. And by faith, we believe he is capable of saving us. We trust him and place our very souls in his hands because we believe there's no other choice. That's the only option. It's interesting, there's a, reason, uh, a survey that came out um, a few months ago, and it talks about people that claim to be Christian and how they hold up to the truth of Scripture. It's surprisingly how few people believe that Christianity is the only way to the Father, and yet that's exactly what the Bible says. Um, All right. Romans 9, verses 30 and 32. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, but the righteousness that is by faith? However, Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, did not arrive at the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though they could do it by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. So we have given up hope on any other method except Jesus Christ. And we trust in what Jesus did, what he is doing in him, and he is thus our ark. We are in him. Another illustration that we see in the New Testament about being in Christ, we see in that we're represented being in him as a branch is in the vine. 
And of course, if you've ever raised grapes, that's the idea of you know this vine and the branches go into the vine and the vine the branches produce fruit, but only when they're connected to the vine. So John 15, 1 through 5 said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it'll bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So the branch derives its nourishment, its sap, its energy from the vine, from the center of the vine. Um, And that only happens when it's united, when it's part of the vine. right? If you cut off the branch the branch will quickly wither and die. And it can't just be next to the vine. You can't take a branch that's been cut off and you know, tie it to the trunk with horticultural tape and hope it's going to live. It doesn't work that way. right? It has to be in the vine. It has to be connected to it. And there's a mysterious union that happens between Christ and us. I mean, the whole process is, is amazing, and, and it's hard to explain but it, we can enjoy it. You know, it's interesting trying to explain to a non-believer what it means to have the Holy Spirit, to, to be in Christ, All right? Because it's a unique experience that only people that are in Christ can know. The union with Christ flows in us, right? It gives us that energy, And it brings forth clusters of good fruit that bring glory to God. And I pray that each of us is united to Christ, that we're knit together with him. Right? Never separated. We're also told that we're in Christ as a stone is in a building. A stone is built into a wall as part of the building. The mass of the stone and the mortar laid upon the foundation gives strength to the whole building, right? The whole thing holds itself together from the foundation, the capstone, and all the stones. Everything is part of one. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into the holy temple in the Lord, in whom you have also built to, being built together in the dwelling, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So such is the eternal love of God that binds us together, right? Um, We become one rock, one palace wall, one solid temple to the Lord. Um, God built this fabric that puts us together in Christ. So we are in Christ because we trust him for salvation just as Noah trusted the ark. And we are in Christ because we derive life from him 
just as the branch gets its life from the vine. And we are in Christ because we are united with him, leaning on him as a building leans on its foundation. So how do we come to be in Christ? Well, by works? No. Our works are but filthy rags before God. By our self-righteousness? No. Any hint of our righteousness toward salvation is abhorrent to God. No, we get to know God by faith. Romans 5, 1-2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into grace in which we stand. We celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. So by faith you are saved. By faith you are in Christ. Now let's look at the second part, Christian's character. So what does it mean to be a new creation? Well, there's three points that we can make about being a new creation. The first is, it's a radical change. Think of Paul on the road to Damascus, right? He went through a radical change. Scripture tells us what happened. So we're going to cover three sections here. We'll start with Acts 9, verses 3 to 6. Now, as he was traveling, it it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am the Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. We'll pick it up at Acts 9, verses 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we're going to look at Acts 9, verses 19b through 22. Uh, And now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and were saying, is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on the name and had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So we see Saul, who, Pharisees of Pharisees, is persecuting the believers of Jesus Christ. We're told that he held the cults of those who stoned Stephen. And he gets permission to head to Damascus to persecute Christians there. And God steps into his life, changes his life radically. He loses his sight, his sight's restored, and then he gets the Holy Spirit and he becomes this foundational message giver to the Gentiles. That's radical change. That is change. Now, 
that's very different from some of the other changes we hear about in the Bible, right? Remember Naaman, he goes down to the Jordan River, and after his seventh immersion, his leprosy is cured. Okay, that's cool. But he's the same Naaman, he's still got the same skin. That's not a radical change, right? And the Bible is full of miracles where amazing things occurred, but not radical change, right? Lazarus is raised from the grave after four days, but he's still Lazarus. I was figured, I felt so sorry for Lazarus. Can you imagine dying, being with God, and go, oh, i got to go back? <laughs> yeah, Lazarus had to be really unhappy. Hey, do you know where I was? Um, yeah, but so, those aren't radical changes. Yeah, they're miracles, but that's not the same thing. And we can overcome our bad habits, our addictions, our tendencies. We can overcome all that sort of stuff, but it doesn't change who we are. Now, a new creation is a radical change. It's not like fresh paint on a wall. It's a new wall. It's not like more bricks on a foundation. It's a new foundation. It's totally new. The new creation has changed from the entire top to bottom, left to right, all senses and all aspects. It's a change, a radical change. It's as if the former creature was completely destroyed and something new was formed by the very breath of God. Such is the fruit of being in Christ. Right? That person is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So I have one question for you. Well, I have many, but this is the one I'm going to ask now. Do you know of that radical change? Did you experience a radical change in your life when you came to know Jesus Christ? Because if you didn't, we should talk. Because that is part of being a new person in Christ, is a radical change in your life. I know for me, when I came to know Jesus Christ, I immediately knew there were things I could no longer do. There are people I could no longer hang out with. And it was, it was clear as day. Now, it's important to understand that because one of the things that's unique about Anabaptists is that we don't pursue baptism until a person is old enough to know that that radical change has occurred. They have to know that change is there. They have to know the cost of turning their life over to Jesus Christ. Right? To baptize an infant is folly. That child has no way to know what it means to be in Christ, has no idea of the cost that's going to be asked of living in Christ. Now, you have to understand the cost, you have to have experienced the change, and then you're baptized into Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be a new creation? Well, first we saw it's radical change. Second, there's divine work involved. A new creation is the work of God alone. The potter may take a lump of clay and turn it into a vase, but he didn't create the clay. I'm reminded of a story of scientists. They'd gotten together and they're convinced that they know how to create life. And so they told God, said, God, we have figured this one out and we can create life. So God says, okay, go ahead. So they go down to the swamp and they start digging up the mud and God looks down and goes, uh-uh, get your own dirt. <laughs> right? So the only person that can, or the only person spirit that can create something new, completely new, is God. 
fashioning into a new creation for his purposes and our benefits is what happens for a new believer. God and God alone creates a new believer. John 1, verses 12 through 13. But as many have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So no one can claim to have assisted the creator. The sovereign will of God created mankind as heirs of divine grace. And it's more difficult for God to create a new Christian than it was for God to create the universe in the very beginning. Right? Because in the beginning, there was nothing. There was no resistance to the creation. There was nothing in the way. He brought forth light into darkness. But darkness isn't a something. Darkness is just the absence of light. So he said there will be light, and there was light. There was no resistance. But when God creates a Christian, there is resistance. There is already something there. And it resists God. In our hearts, there is nothing that could, get, that could help God and much that could and does oppose him. Our stubborn royals, our prejudices, our ingrained love of sin, all of these things in our life opposed God. There was darkness at the first creation. There was nothing there to stop the light. But when God's light first shone upon us, we resisted. You know, I heard the message many times. But it was 33 years of age when I accepted it. And many people still resist the light today. You know, it's interesting that the men's group has been working through the uh, controversy between Calvinism and Arminianism. Um, and the big question, of course, between the two is did... God choose man, or did man choose God? And then the brethren standard answer is yes. <laughs> exactly how that works, we don't know. Right? But we know that if God did not create in us a new creation, we would not be a new creation. That's perfectly the will of God. And somewhere in that we chose God. And again, we've had very interesting conversations exactly how that merges. Um, I always think of it, if you look at railroad tracks, if you're standing on the tracks, there's two different tracks. But if you look at the horizon, there's one track. So that's kind of how that works. It's just somehow this works. Um, all right. So just as in the first creation, God separated the water from the land, he too separates our sinful nature from his nature that resides in us through the Holy Spirit. He's given us life and light and order, and he starts to renew in us the image of God. You know, when I think of the, the, when Michelangelo created David, right, he started with this giant block of granite. And somehow inside that, he saw David. And he started knocking away big chunks of rock. 
And that's kind of the way. When we first come to know the Lord, we're a big chunk of granite. And he knocks away these big chunks. And I had plenty of big chunks that needed to get knocked away. And as we continue to grow in Christ, the big chunks have started to fall away. Now he starts working on the smaller pieces. A little detail here, a little detail there. Some of those things were like, oh yeah, I've been wanting to get rid of that. Unfortunately, some of the other parts are like, no, I'm pretty comfortable with that chunk. Just leave that chunk alone. Right? <laughs> Ever had one of those arguments with God? Hey, I really don't want to work on that now. What do you mean I have to? Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's that process of the new creation and being molded into the nature of Christ-likeness of God. Right? He, he refines back to the image that we were originally created to be. Now, again, we won't be there perfectly on this world, but when the end comes, we'll all be back fully in the image of God as he created us in the garden. All right. First John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So what does it mean to be a new creation? Well, first it means radical change. Secondly, it means that there's divine work involved. And third, we find that in a new creation there is remarkable freshness. Now, it's been a long time since the world has seen a new creation among its life forms. Depending on your point of view, it may have been 6,000 years or so since the ark landed, the doors opened, and the kinds got out and started making new species. Or if you have the other point of view, maybe it's been hundreds of thousands of years. I'm not going to debate that today. Um, but the point of it is, is that everything that was then is pretty much like it is now. The flowers that were here now are pretty much like the flowers that were here 1,000, 10,000 years ago. They may look a little different, have some different colors, but they're still the same flowers. And the creatures may have adapted to change to the environment that's changed around them, but they're fundamentally the same. Right? Canines are canines, felines are felines. I had a friend, got a new dog. I said, well, what's your dog? He goes, it's a Labrador. I said, a Labrador? What in the heck is a Labrador? He says, oh, it's a Labrador retriever and a poodle. And I'm thinking, did someone do that on purpose, or did you forget to lock the gate? <laughs> I mean, but it's still a dog, you know? Nothing, I mean, it's still a dog, and that's the thing. I mean, the world has not seen a lot different. We have changed somewhat physically, but for the most part, we're much the same as we were when we were originally created in the garden, right? The world is old and worn, what an amazing thing it would be if God could create something completely new in the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? And yet that's exactly what he does. And he does it every time 
a new Christian is created. Something completely new to the world is in the world. And a new believer has this freshness about them. Um, I remember when I first accepted Christ. I came home and Donna, I'm like, woohoo, you wouldn't believe what happened. And she was really surprised because she thought I was already a Christian. And at, at the time, I did too. Um, I remember uh, John, the, the pastor that led me to the Lord, he asked me two questions. He said that, you know, if, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? I said, sure. And then he said, why? And I said, because I'm a pretty good guy. I've lived a good life. He's like, yeah, that's not the answer. So, <laughs> and he went through and explained to me, and it was amazing. I mean, I'd heard this message for a long, long time, and all of a sudden, boom, it made sense. It was exhilarating. I was excited. I told friends, hey, you won't believe what I did. It was exciting. Forgiven by the grace of God and not by my own works. And how long I had been trying to do the right thing when that wasn't what it was about. And then once you know the Lord, you do the right thing because it's the right thing, because it's in your heart, you know what the right thing is. Yeah, you still fight your sinful flesh, but you're in that process of changing. Reconciled to him by his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 6, verse 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised through the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. The world has nothing like it, right? There is nothing in the world that's similar to what we go through as a new creation in Christ. Nothing. The world is stale, routine, and tiring. Solomon knew, right? Solomon had gardens and palaces, horses and chariots, gold and silver, parties. What was it, 300 wives and 700 concubines? Somehow I don't see that as a blessing. But, but he too realized there's nothing in that. There's no benefit. It's all vanity. It's all waste. Everyone who accepts the free gift of grace from Jesus is in Christ. And that person is a new creation. The old things of their life go away, and many new things come, are coming, and will continue to come until the very end when we go to be with Christ. I pray that you all know Jesus Christ. And I ask yourself to search yourselves about what's new in your life. What is Christ doing in your life? Spend time and say, thank you, Lord, that you have changed X. And if you don't feel like it's a lot of change, spend some time with God. I'm sure he has a list. And pursue with earnestness to be Christ-like. Right? That's our goal, to be Christ-like and to shine with the light of God into the world we live in. And this world desperately needs it.
Lord, we just thank you for all that you do in our lives and the fact that you have created in us a new creation. That we have a new heart, a new mind, a spirit that guides us. Lord, help us to put aside the old nature and fully embrace the new. For we are in you and in you a new creation of which we are very, very grateful. In your most holy name, amen.